as we enter 2020, I'm thankful for the last year, for the last decade. I often remember this time of year uh, beginning here at this church uh, now 16 years ago, and I remember starting on the, on the first Sunday of the year. And so the first Sunday of the year is always a, a special one be, because of that, but also because of, of just the new beginnings and um, how it marks for us uh, a time to really evaluate our life and maybe evaluate the last year and to look forward to what is to come. And so this time of year is a, a special time where we can look at our life and, and set things in order to set things in place. And I think what a great text this morning to ask the question, how will we run for Christ this, this new year? How will we run for Jesus even this, this new decade? And I, I, I started doing this when um, it became the, the new year. I started asking my wife, I was like, hey, have you, have you thought about what this next decade, uh, God willing, is, is going to bring? And, and she said, what is that? I said, well, it's going to bring the 50s for you and I. All right. She's like, do we want to continue this conversation? Do we really want to keep doing this? And um, it's, it's going to bring, uh, God willing, uh, three kids in college. Um, and then she said, please stop. Just, just stop. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I will. That, that is getting kind of, okay. <laughs> now, those things are a little overwhelming. But, but it's, it, it's cool to step back and think about what's, what's ahead and then also obviously to look back and praise God for, for what has happened over the last year and even if you want to look back at the last decade. And so this morning, I think what a beautiful text, as David read for us, here in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, that, that we are encouraged to run. And encouraged in such a way to, to run that we may win. And, and so it bids the question, okay, how are we to run? How are we to run, Paul? Uh, what is the win? What is this race that we're to run in such a way that we win. Paul, what is that? And so here's what I want to do this morning. I, I want us to go back. We're going to cover a little bit of ground here um, in, in some bigger chunks. But I wanted to go back to the beginning of this chapter in chapter 9. Because what, what we see here is Paul's mind. We see his heart. We see his passions. We see his longings. We see his desire. And I think it helps us understand and kind of get an idea what this race that we're supposed to run, what the win is in this race, what it's supposed to look like for you and I, and to really answer the question, how will we run for Jesus? What is that going to look like this year? So Paul's mission in Corinth was to build a kingdom community, and this kingdom community was to be independent of the dominant Roman society of that day. And he wanted people to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord and to see themselves, the church, as a completely different society, um, knowing that the kingdom of this world will not last forever. In fact, Paul said that back in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 31. He said, for the form of this world is passing away. And so he, he wanted the church um, to live as Jesus directed the disciples in, in John 17 where he told the disciples, you're in the world, okay? He didn't want to take them out of the world. He says, you're in the world, but you're not of it. And so live in that way, because this world will perish, but the kingdom of God will live forever. And so that was Paul's thinking. He was all about the kingdom of God. 
uh, to, to build a community, the community of the kingdom of God that was independent of the Roman society, that they would live differently than the rest of the world and to live in the way of Christ. That was Paul's heart. That was his desire. And so here in chapter 9, here's what he does. I, I think he does three things for us. Okay? The first thing we're going to look at here is he's going to encourage us to live a life for the gospel. To have our mind set on things above is another way that Paul will say it in another place. But, but Paul wants us to live for the gospel. That's what he lived for, which was totally opposite than the society that he was a part of. The society that he was a part of was all about self-indulging was all about self-advancement. And so here in chapter 9, verse 1, what we're going to see here is Paul had all these rights. He had all this liberty, all this freedom that he talked about back in 1 Corinthians 8, and he, he had it as an apostle. But he is willingly going to lay down these rights for the sake of the gospel. And I think it's a great example for you and I to, to really look at our life and say, hey, listen, am I living for my own desires, or am I living for the sake of the gospel? And so look what he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Paul asks this question. He's going to ask a few of them. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Or are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And so what Paul's going to do here is going to talk about these rights, these privileges that he had as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so in Paul's days, something that was common was philosophers, wandering missionaries in the Greek uh, Roman world were supported okay, by outside support, by means of, of others. And so here's what, how that would look sometimes. It would be by fees, so they would charge a fee. Um, Another common thing, and we're going to talk more about this, was pay, uh, patronage or patronage. We'll go with the second, patronage. And so, or begging. Some of these people would beg for resources, food, or money, or they would work with their hands. And so that's how people would gain support. Each of these had support for it, and also those who were against these different things, whether it was begging or whether it was... A, having a fee system, whatever it was. And so, so Paul had these, these rights as an apostle that he would um, receive financial support. And so Paul's going to talk about this, but here's what Paul did. Of those four ways that people would earn support back then, if they were a missionary or a philosopher, whatever it was, um, Paul chose to work with his hands. In fact, Scripture tells us that he was a tent maker, um, and as a result of that, many believed that, that Paul um, was not like the other apostles. Because the other apostles, like Peter, which he's going to mention in a second, James and, and others, that they didn't work what many would call maybe a, a job outside of their ministry or, or a secular job. And so Paul, though, chose to be a tent maker. He, he chose to work with his hands. And others saw that as a case that, that Paul wasn't like the other apostles, that he was different. And so Paul, here in this chapter, is going to make an argument here that he is an apostle, and he has just as much right 
to earn support, financial support, just like other apostles. Now, here's the point. Paul's point, though, that he's going to drive home it is not simply that people would understand that he should get financial support for what he's doing here. Okay? There's a bigger point, and I want you to see that this morning. Look at verse 3. Here's what he says. He says, my defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Sure, sure he does. Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, who is Peter? Or do only Barnabas and I... So Barnabas was a traveling partner with, with Paul in the ministry. He was the son of encouragement, uh, a guy that, that worked alongside Paul also in the ministry. And he says here, um, or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Because they would work with their hands. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense, he asks. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock. And so what Paul is saying here is just like the other apostles, okay, which Paul was, he also, along with, with Barnabas, has the right to receive financial support in his ministry, just like the other apostles. And he's going to build a case for this by showing them in the Old Testament and other ways why he has this right. But again, what Paul is going to say here, it's not about his rights, and so this is, this is a, kind of a, uh, not a long way, it's rather short, but, but to get to a point that Paul wants to drive home about his motive and his heart. And so look what he says in verse 8. He says, I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen. Is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written because the plowman ought to plow in hope. The thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. So what is all this? What Paul is saying here is I want you to know that even in the Old Testament, it, it is said that, that someone who is declaring the word of God, um, we see it with, with priests or, or prophets, is, is to get their living right from that. And that's not a wrong thing. That's, that's not a bad thing thing. And, and so Paul's going to use these examples of the Old Testament, and then here in verse 10, and then also in verse 11, he says, if we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we re reap material things from you? And so what he's saying right here is, hey, listen, if, if people get gained from doing physical work and physical things, why shouldn't people who, who preach or do um, ministry should not get gain from, from that. Is, is that a bad thing? And so what Paul is saying here is, is he's saying that isn't spiritual things just much more important than physical things? And so he's using that argument as well. And then look at verse 12. If others share the right over you, do we not more? And then he says, nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel. Paul's saying here, I'm a church planner. This work that we are doing, sharing the good news, the gospel, is, is that not a worthy job? And something also that he should get resources from. Paul would say, yes, of course, a church planner should. And then look at verse 13. He says, do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, those who attend regularly to the altar, have their share from the altar? And so now he's using this idea of the priesthood. 
that they also get resources from what they do. And then he does this in verse 14. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. So those who teach about Christ and the gospel, should they not also get their living from that? So Paul builds this case that he has this right, just as the other apostles. But here's what Paul has done. And this is the point I want to get to with these 14 verses, and it's found in verse 15 and on. He says, but I have used none of these things. That's a key statement. But I have used none of these things. And I am not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case, for it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. So here's what Paul is saying. I have this right as an apostle, just like the others. I have a right because based on the Old Testament. I have a right based on that, that spiritual things are, are more important than physical things, and that's his work in, in planning churches and teaching the gospel, and, and priests get paid as well. And so he says all these rights, and he has this case, but he says, listen, I willingly lay aside the right. I willingly lay it aside. And look what he says in verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, I have no, uh, nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward that even when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So here's what Paul's saying. Let me just kind of put these 18 verses in a few statements, okay? Paul's saying, I have this right as an apostle, because some in Corinth were challenging his apostleship. Some were challenging um, his, his right to, to uh, that role because he was working um, a, a normal job with his hands as a tent maker. And so some looked at him differently. They looked at his authority differently. But here's what Paul chose to do in Corinth and in his ministry. Is he chose to work with his hands while still doing and preaching the gospel, discipling others, church planning, because of how the society was. And here's the picture I want you to get this morning. Paul in Corinth, dealt with a very interesting society. We, we see it in our day. We see it in our world very much. But it, it's called the patronage system. Maybe we, we, we don't maybe give it that title anymore, but that's what it was in Rome. That's what it was in Corinth. It was this patron-client relationship. And it was woven throughout society. It was woven throughout the Roman world and especially in Corinth. And so what is this, okay? A, a patron-client relationship is basically, let me give you one definition from a guy named Horsley. He talks about Paul and the empire, the Roman empire. He, it's this asymmetrical exchange relationship is what it's called. The parties on both ends of such a tie are unequal in the control of resources and so differ in terms of power and status. He says they are bound together mainly because their tie can serve their mutual interest through the exchange of resources. 
And so that's a definition, but here's how it looked, okay? It first started with the Roman emperor, okay? He was the superior patron, okay? He could dish out favors based on his power. And so what he would do is he would do different things as he was seen as the main benefactor, and he would grant favors based on his power and his position. But here's what he would expect in return. He would expect loyalty. He would expect honor from his clients, the people. And what happened is this mentality trickled down to leaders, uh, associations, even in households. And, and, and it trickled down to what would happen is, is people, um, maybe they didn't have a, a strong family tie or a strong family, okay? And so what they would do is they would seek out different ways to get favors from people, right? Um, and, and so if you wanted to get a leg up in society, maybe you would get to know uh, people of, of different wealth, people of different positions, and so it would behoove you to get to know them and to build relationships with them so your status could get higher in society. And so this is how the society was structured in Paul's day. And so you had people of all different backgrounds trying to climb the social ladder of power and honor. And so it is also worth noting that patronal relations this patron-client relationship would move beyond the patron as, as many uh, that would patron, what they would do is they would feel like they would need also the protection of a patron God. So this got more than just social, it, it got religious. And, and so the emperor, all right, uh, he would seek these favors, for, uh, do these favors for the people, and in return, he would get their loyalty, uh, and what would happen a lot of times is that, that these people uh, would start worshiping maybe that, that person's God or whoever they followed. And so you see how this all got mixed up. And that's the society that Paul was in. So Paul, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, is saying, hey, listen, I have these rights. I have these rights to, to get money from what I'm doing. But he says, guess what? I refrain from it. I'm putting that right to the side because I do not want to be seen as a patron. I don't want to see, be seen as a client that I'm dishing out the gospel for, for the sake of funds or money. And so Paul says, I want it to be seen and I want it to be known in this society, and especially in the church in Corinth, that I'm about one thing, Paul says. I'm about the gospel. That's what he cared about. Now, is it wrong for a pastor, missionary, church planners, whatever, to, to get resources for living, okay? Uh, is that wrong? No. And Paul's not saying that. But what Paul is saying is, my motive, and it should be of all pastors, it should be of all ministers, it should be of all church planners, but not only that, of all Christians, our motive should not be based on what we should get from other people what we should gain from other people, or what we should get other people to do for us. We should never live like that. But our goal should alone be about the gospel. And that's what his life was about. It wasn't about earthly possessions. It wasn't about earthly rewards. It was all about the gospel. And so in that society, Paul was quite different. And it trickled down into the church, this patronage relationship 
this patronage, social climbing of the ladder, it, it trickled down to the church. And so Paul was not well liked, but he didn't care. He lived a life for the gospel. So what does this mean? What does this look like? Look at verse 19. And for Paul, here's what he would say. I want you to run. I want you to run the race this way in such a way that your life is not about earthly gain, earthly possessions, what you can, can, can get out of other people like was in his society, but may your life be about the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. And here's what it looked like for him. Look at verse 19. For though I am free from all men, he had this liberty, I have made myself a slave to all. So for what reason? And he's going to give six purpose statements here. Look what he says. So that I may win more. Okay, Paul, win more. What does that mean? Look at verse 20. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I may win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I may win those who are under the law. Basically what he's saying right there, those who are Jews, I, I want to win them. Okay, Paul, what do you mean? Well, look at verse 21. To those who are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I may win those who are without the law. And so who are those? Gentiles, right? I want to win those who are non-Jews. And then he says in verse 22, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. So Paul, what's Paul saying here? He's saying this race that I run is for the sake of the gospel. And my aim when I run is that others would be one, that others would be saved. Those are the two things that he says here, that I may win more, that, that I may save others. And then he also says in verse 23, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it, of what? The gospel. So what did Paul want? What was his desire? He wanted to live in such a way that his life was all about the gospel. And his aim was that others would come to know Jesus Christ through his life as he shared the gospel, as he lived out faith. And what Paul would do, and he says this here, I have become all things, in verse 22, to all men, so that I may by all means save some. Here's what Paul would do. He, he would adapt his life in such a way to connect with other people, not, not in sinful ways, not, not in, in pleasurable ways, but in, in, in such a way that he would get an opportunity to share the gospel with them, that they may come to Faith. And so Paul says his aim here is to win others, to save others, to be a partaker in the benefits of the gospel. And so when Paul says here, I, I want to win others, I, I want to see others saved, what's he talking about? As he lives this life for the gospel, what is he talking about? Well, in Romans 5 9, it tells us this. It says, Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God 
through him, through Jesus Christ. And so Paul uses this word save here in 1 Corinthians 9 in the same way, that he wants others through his telling of the gospel, through his teaching of the gospel, through his sharing of the gospel, he wants others to be saved from the wrath of God. That was his aim. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, Paul says that Jesus delivers us or saves us from the wrath to come. Paul wanted to live in such a way that other people would encounter the gospel, that they would encounter Jesus Christ and the life-changing, saving message of Jesus Christ, that their lives would be turned around, that they would turn and trust in Christ, and they would be saved from the wrath to come. And not only that, this other phrase that he uses here at the end in verse 23, he says, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. What, what is he wanting them to be a partaker of, and what is he wanting to be a partaker of? And here's what it is. Look at, uh, listen to this text. It'll be up on the screen. In John 3, 36, Jesus says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. See, that's what Paul wanted them to be partakers of, eternal life, saved from the wrath of God, partakers of eternal life. And then the rest of John 3, 36, But he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You see, Paul wanted them to be saved from the wrath of God and to be partakers of eternal life. That is what one receives when they trust in Christ. And Paul wanted that. He wanted that. For as many as he knew, Jew, non-Jew, he wanted people to come to faith. He wanted to win people for this reason, that they would know eternal life in Jesus Christ. Paul wanted to be a partaker of this. What does this mean? It means this, that his goal and aim in life was to live a life for the gospel, that others would come to faith. And Paul saw his way of being a partaker of that here on earth as loving people, caring for people, not concerned about the self-indulgence that, that um, was all over his society of this patronage relationship. Paul was like, no, I love people for the sake of the gospel so that they'd be saved from the wrath of God and they would be partakers of eternal life. And so that gets us back to where we started this morning. Look at verse 24. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? And so Paul, in his day, was very familiar with Olympic Games. Olympic Games would be held in Greece. Uh, there would be also games held in Corinth and, and nearby cities. They were called the Isthmian Games. And, and they would take place about every two or three years. And so these athletic contests, they were very familiar to people in that day. And so Paul takes the opportunity to, to bring this all together and say, listen, I, I want to encourage you to live your life to, to run the race this way. And he's already mentioned two things, that your life would be all about the gospel, not, not what you can get from others, not what you can gain from others, but it would be all about the gospel. And then second, that, that you would live in such a way that you would win others to faith, that they would know Christ, 
that you would share and declare the gospel to them. So, so this race it involves that. He, he wants us to live that kind of life, that that is our aim, that that's what we're running for in this life. And so he builds this picture of this race that we're to run. And he says, but only one receives the prize. You see, in Olympic Games, you're competing against other people. But Paul's statement here basically means this. We're not competing against each other, right? We're not in a competition against each other. No, no. this competition really boils down to ourselves. And we've got to look at ourselves and say, how will I run? How will I run? And so Paul saw this Christian life as a race. And look what he says in verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable reef, but we an imperishable one. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. And so there's that idea of aim. Right? He has a goal. He has a name. We've seen that at the beginning of this chapter. And then he says this, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. See, here's what Paul's heart and desire was, and it's his heart and desire for us, is that we would run this Christian life, this race of the Christian life, where the it's all about the gospel, letting other people know about it, know about Jesus Christ and how he came to save them from wrath, to grant them eternal life. But Paul says it's going to take something for us to live in such a way. And he says in verse 25, he says, everyone who competes. So the first thing is this, we've got to compete. Again, it's not against others, but what does this mean? That word right there literally means agonize, agonize. And so to, to receive this prize that he wants us to receive, to, to receive from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant, what he's saying here is it takes effort. We've got to kind of have this, this all-in mentality is what Paul is saying here. We've got to compete. We've got to agonize. We've got to have this all-in mentality. And so here's what it means. It, it takes effort from us. And then the second thing he says in verse 25, not only that, he says, in the games those who compete also exercise self-control in all things. You think about an athlete in the Olympic Games. Uh, back in Paul's day, it was said that an athlete would train for 10 months before the games would come up. And what does an athlete do? He denies himself or herself many lawful pleasures to gain an extra edge over another, to be superior in what they do. Uh, a runner, if you think about it, will, will fight against impulses, and they come in different ways. Uh, a runner will fight against impulses to eat stuff they shouldn't, right? Like lots of sugar or candy or whatever it may be. Uh, a runner will fight off the impulses to quit training when things start getting tough and things start hurting and pain starts coming. And so there are these impulses that come at an athlete to get them to throw in the towel and not to train hard. Likewise, for us, we need self-discipline like an athlete to not give into impulses. And in our life, what, what the impulses do is it tries to get our aim off. It tries to draw us away from living for the gospel like Paul did 
of letting the gospel be known. And so what these, these impulses will do, they will weaken our passion for God. They will weaken our hunger for the word of God. They will weaken our prayer life. They will weaken our love for others. And they will weaken our passion for holiness. And so Paul says here, we need this self-control. The Bible tells us in Galatians 5.22 that we have the fruit of the Spirit. It tells us that we have self-control. We have this spiritual fruit, literally this spiritual power. And when we have this, it's when we believe the promise of the Word of God that greater joy will come through self-denial, through, through denying the, the giving into these impulses, and instead trusting in Christ and honoring Him. And so what Paul is doing here is, hey, if we're going to win, right, this race of living for the gospel and declaring the gospel to others. If we're going to win, we're going to have to deny ourselves of these impulses that try to weaken our passion. And so, so three things I just want to encourage you with when, when we think about this this morning. As we run, as we're seeking to be self-disciplined, we must be in the Word of God. We must be in the Word of God. We, we must continue to have a hunger for God's word, so that we will live a life for the gospel like Paul did, so that we will seek to win others to Christ. Not only that, we must have the discipline of prayer. We must make time to pray. We may, must make specific, organized, structured time, and then throughout the day, uh, whether it's, you want to call it popcorn-style prayer or, or just different times where we, we stop and pray, as Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians, of praying without ceasing, that we would have structured, but also just different times during the day where we're praying, and it's this mindset. And so Paul longs for that for us, to be in the Word of God, to, to be in prayer. And then also, a third thing I wanted to say this morning, too, is that as we seek to run, we need each other. As you look at the New Testament, the community of the church was vital. They needed one another to encourage one another. We see that. The one another's are all over the New Testament. To, one, uh, to, to spur each other on, to stir each other up, uh, to do good works. And so we're, we're, we're there to encourage one another in this race. And we need that to fight off the impulses that seek to weaken us. We, we need this type of self-control. And so the Holy Spirit has given us this fruit, that this power to, to we can live in such a way where we say no to these things and yes to the gospel and to live a life for the same aim that Paul did. I want us to look at the last thing, and we'll close on this. Look what he says in verse 27. I discipline my body, or actually go, go up back at the end of verse 25. They then, these athletes, do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. And then drop to 27. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Here's what Paul's saying. Run in such a way to win. And what we win is, is not this imperishable wreath that, or, or excuse me, this perishable wreath that the Olympians would receive back then. They would get a wreath uh, as part of their reward of, of winning um, the, the race that they were in. Paul says, but we get an imperishable reward, an imperishable one. 
one that lasts forever. So here's what Paul's goal was as, as he ran, was not what he could get of earthly possessions, as we saw at the beginning of this chapter. But his goal was about something greater that would come later. That when Jesus Christ returns, that Paul wanted to and longed for that imperishable crown, that reward of, of, of running well, of running well. And Paul says, that will be the reward of those who live for the gospel, who share the gospel, that there's a reward coming. And that's what Paul ran for. And the last thing in verse 27, he, he, he said that, that he didn't want to run in such a way that he would be disqualified. Paul was not worried about losing his salvation. That's not what this statement is about. Paul didn't want to miss out on receiving that imperishable reward one day. He didn't want to miss out. So what that meant is this, that Paul did not want to live for anything else than the gospel. He didn't want to live for anything else than, than winning souls for Jesus Christ. And ultimately, he didn't want to live for anything else than the glory of God. You see, back in Paul's day, the, the Olympics were held for different reasons. But the main reason they were held was to honor uh, the emperor, whether it was for their birthday or was it for some certain anniversary. That's why they did, they did those games. It, was, it came all back to the emperor, all back to the emperor. Paul has that vision in mind as he's telling us this morning to run in such a way for the gospel that others would win, but he doesn't have in mind for an emperor. He has in mind for the glory of God. He says, that's who we run for. And so in 2020, Ridge Church, let me encourage you. Let us together run for the glory of God. And we do that in living a life that is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we remember the grace of Christ, that, that he came and gave his life for us. And, and we live in light of that every day of what he has done for us. And we let that gospel be known to others. We declare it, we share it, we tell it. Because we want to see souls won. We want to see lives saved from the wrath of God and partake in eternal life for the glory of God. And so Ridge Church, let's run in that way in 2020. Let's pray.